0: Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, senior pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. We are in uh, Luke chapter 24 this morning, church, Luke chapter 24. We're actually finishing up uh, the current sermon series called Victorious. Luke chapter 24. Hey, while you're turning there, I want to do an audience poll this morning, okay? Now, you're going to have to put on your thinking caps for this one, but I'm going to give you a particular product slogan or a jingle and I want you to say out loud which one it is, okay? I want to see how well-versed you are in particular products, all right? So I'll start off with a couple of easy one, uh, easy ones. This one comes from the 1980s. you remember a, a woman named Clara who said, Where's the beef? <laughs> Wendy's, yeah, good one. Or, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. McDonald's, yes. Uh, this one goes back a little further, though, Okay. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way, have it your way, have it your way, have it your way. At, by, Add- hey, good, very good, Burger King. Just do it. Not good. not good, good. All right, let's go a little farther back. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M and M's, excellent. You're batting a 1,000. It's the real thing. Say that again. Coca-Cola. Yeah, that one one goes back to my childhood. We try harder. Okay, a few of you got that one. Avis, car rental. How about this one? Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Alka-Seltzer. Good to the last drop. Maxwell House Coffee, okay. Now, we're gonna set the Wayback Machine a bit farther for this one. This slogan actually came out in 1959, and I'm guessing I'm gonna stump a few of you. Put a tiger in your tank. You're close. Esso. Esso. okay, this is before Esso and Esco actually were absorbed into Exxon. Let's go back 20 20 years farther than that, 1939 blank cola hits the spot 12 full ounces that's a lot Uh, nope not rc nope pepsi Pepsi. yeah just you know (laughs) process of elimination right okay i'm going to give you one more and this particular slogan actually dates all the way back to 1895. So if you remember this one, when it personally came out, I want to meet you because you're 128 years old, (laughs) 99 and 44 hundredths percent pure. Ivory. Ivory soap. Excellent. You guys are rolling. Now these particular companies want to do everything they can to make sure that their product is widely known. Here's the point I'm actually trying to get at this morning, church. You and I, as Christians, we have something that the world needs to know about a whole lot more than, you know, things like soda and and sneakers and, and soap and burgers. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so excited about this message today, because it's all about Jesus. Now, we're in the, in the book of Luke, and from that text, Luke tells us the story of Jesus' final meeting with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Jesus reminded them that they were eyewitnesses of some incredible events and What Jesus had done was amazingly good news. Like any good news, that the story of God's saving work in Jesus is one that needs to be shared. The world needs to know that there is victory in Jesus. In fact, that brings us to the big idea behind the message today, is that the victory we have in Jesus is way too big to keep to ourselves. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. We're in the last chapter of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. In this chapter, we find that Jesus has risen from the dead. And following his resurrection, we find that Jesus appeared to a number of different people. He appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He had also appeared to Simon Peter and then to this gathering of his disciples. And in that place, Jesus shared with them the text that we're going to look at this morning. In fact, there's three fundamental truths about Jesus that we discover in these six verses in um, Luke chapter 24. Now, here's the first fundamental truth I want you to understand about Jesus. God's scripture is all about Jesus. Look at verse 44. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Let's drill down a little bit farther, a little bit deeper here, and see a couple of specific things about Jesus here in verses 44 and 45. First, we see that Jesus' story is present in the Law and the Prophets. Now, what did Luke mean when he referred to the Scriptures in verse 45? Well, he he gives us the answer in verse 44. The scriptures actually refer back to the the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Now understand, in Judaism, the Old Testament was also often referred to as the the Law and the Prophets, or also is very frequently referred to as the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. And so this is actually a reference to the entire Old Testament. And the point here is, is pretty clear. The whole Bible is a book about Jesus Christ. Uh, Pastor Alastair Begg put it this way. He said, in the Old Testament, Christ is predicted, in the gospels he is revealed, in Acts he is preached, in the epistles he is explained, and in Revelation he is expected. So Christ is implicit in the Old Testament. He's explicit in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, his story is a seed that's planted. In the New Testament, it's one that comes to full bloom. So the whole Bible points to Jesus. So anytime you read the Old Testament, you know, ask yourself, where does this Bible text stand in relation to Christ and the Gospel? How does this passage relate to God's grand story of redemption? Because the scriptures either point forward to Christ, like in the Old Testament, speak directly of Christ as in the Gospels, or reflect back on Christ as in the New Testament epistles. Now, interestingly, this meeting here in Luke chapter 24 wasn't the first time that Jesus made this claim about all of the scriptures speaking of him. We find in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Again, law and the prophets, reference to the Old Testament. Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And then in John chapter 5 verse 39 Jesus is talking to some Jews who sought to persecute him he said you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them and yet they testify about me so Jesus story is present in the Old Testament here's something else about Jesus Jesus spirit is profitable for learning and and perception. Verse forty five, he says. It says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, unfortunately, we find still today too many examples of people who who misinterpret the Bible, or who. Uh, Choose to read it in light of what they think it needs to say. In fact, that's a very postmodern approach. It's called a reader response method. They kind of ignore the authorial intent of the scripture and figure, well, it means whatever I think it means. Or they choose to interpret uh, the Bible according to the way it makes them feel. Well, that's called emotivism. Emotivism is making judgments about reality based on your emotions, your your feelings. And that's not the way we read the Bible. But how do we know when we're really looking at the scriptures correctly? Well, of course, you can take my biblical interp class next time I offer it. But no, if you want to know that you're interpreting the scriptures correctly, look for Jesus. Keep looking for Jesus. Reading the Bible as God intended will always bring you back to Jesus. And these words here in verse 45 remind us that the scriptures need to be understood. Yes, we can work really hard to learn how to interpret scripture and that that science of interpretation is called hermeneutics. but, But without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, it can still be really difficult to fully grasp God's word. Because the risen Lord Jesus is not only the the content and the fulfillment of scriptures, but as the living word of God, through his spirit, he actually becomes the interpreter of the written word of God. So for understanding, we count on the leadership of his spirit to open up our spiritual eyes. And in these verses, we see that the disciples, they're, they're, they're finally starting to get it. Right? They're gaining a real and clear understanding, not only of what the scriptures prophesied, but of what they themselves had witnessed during their time with Jesus as he fulfilled prophecy. Hey, d- hey y'all, disciples, uh, you-, you remember all that stuff that I was talking about before? Yeah, this is it. This is all that it's been leading up to. My death, my resurrection. This is all what it's about. All the scripture actually points to this. Now, why was it important to his disciples for Jesus to refer to the Old Testament in his explanations? Well, when you think about it, that's the only Bible that they had up to that point in in history. I think he wanted them to understand that he was, in fact, fulfilling God's plan, not departing from it. He also knew that they needed a firm scriptural foundation for their future task of communicating these truths of who Jesus is to the rest of the world. But you know, because Jesus identified himself in the Old Testament, guess what? Today, you and I have a better understanding of all this entails. Jesus', Jesus birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. We understand that it was all part of God's plan. So when you read the scriptures, learn to see the big picture, the grand unified story of God's love for his people, how God was at work over the whole of history, how he created us to be his image bearers, to have relationship with him. But unfortunately, sin entered into the world and disrupted that. So God enacted a redemption plan. Of course, the word redeem, it means to buy back, and he taught us Uh, the penalty of sin, and the solution for it, which is substitutionary death. And then in fulfillment of that requirement, God provided the perfect sacrifice. Who takes away the sin of the world? The world, not just his chosen people, Israel, Jew and Gentile, all humankind. In fact, that's a perfect lead-in to the next foundational truth that I want you to see in Luke chapter 24. So not only is God's scripture all about Jesus... Number two, God's salvation is found in Jesus. Look at verse 46. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now there's a couple of things that stand out here. Okay, first of all in verse 46, I want you to note that there's a mention of resurrection and fulfilled prophecy. Okay, so the the Old Testament actually predicted that Jesus would suffer, be killed, and would rise again from the dead. Now that message of the cross and the empty tomb, that is central to the message of the gospel. But in helping the disciples understand the scriptures, Jesus was referring to what was already written now in our text here Luke actually uses three different verbs to summarize what was written in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah the the Christ uh, that literally means the anointed one that he would suffer that he would rise and that he would be proclaimed now those first two the cross and the resurrection while wow, they're central elements in the proclamation of the gospel. Those are now past. That's been accomplished. Done deal, now and forever. But that third one, the proclaiming, yeah, that was just about to get started. So the Old Testament points to what Jesus Christ would do, that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Now, Luke, he, you know, he didn't tell us which... Particular passages that Jesus had in mind when he said, it is written. But we do know that the early church used several scriptures to point to the crucified and resurrected Christ. For example, uh, Philip, in, uh, in leading the, the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ in Acts chapter 8, he actually referred to Isaiah chapter 53. Or just read Psalm 22 sometime and see the many references you can find to the crucifixion. But here in verse 46, what prophecies did Jesus specifically state had been fulfilled? That the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one would suffer and that he would rise from the dead the third day. That's just two, y'all. Now, two very important ones, two life-altering ones. But get this, in the Bible, there were 333 prophecies that were fulfilled to the letter in one person and that's Jesus Christ you know the mathematical probability of that happening is one in 83 billion okay skeptics care to offer an explanation for that one anyone anyone You, you can't So we see that the gospel story is one of resurrection and fulfilled prophecy, but also in it we see repentance and forgiveness proclaimed. Look at verse 47. You know, while the Old Testament paints us a picture of a holy God who judges sin, at the same time it gives us ample testimony of a God of grace and of love and forgiveness. In fact, I want you to listen to these Old Testament passages. There's two of them I want to read to you. Consider what elements of the message of salvation you actually hear in them. The first one is Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And then Jonah, chapter four, verse two. Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. See, Old Testament passages like these They speak of God's infinite love, of his undeserved favor, of compassion, forgiveness, removal of our sins and their penalty. Tells us about God's desire to deal with our sin problem so that we can have a personal relationship with him, even though we were sinners. Pete Wynn, he's a guy that was a head writer for Family News and Focus. That's actually a ministry of Focus on the Family. And he wrote one time that uh, just prior to Christmas, I went to the post office. After helping me, the pleasant postal clerk uttered what is surely her standard line, is there anything else I can do for you? I quipped, can you help me pay for Christmas? And without missing a beat, she replied, he has already paid for it. I was stunned, pleased, surprised, a tad embarrassed, but most of all, Stunned. Church, there's a whole world of people out there who need to be stunned by the offer of God's pardon for sin and its rebellion against Him. Pardon that was purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. And you know what? The story just keeps getting better and better. Not only does the Old Testament point forward. To the events of Jesus' life and identify him as the long-awaited Christ, the one sent by God to save his people from their sins, but he's our Messiah too. So when we read about him in the Old Testament, you know, that not only bears significance in the then and there of the first century, but huge significance for us in the here and now of the 21st century. Look at verse 47 again. Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. See, the gospel of Christ is not just about Jesus coming. It's about our going. Christ's coming. You know, people at home and abroad, they need to be told of this message of repentance and the availability of forgiveness now that thought actually leads us to the last couple of verses in our study this morning we've seen that God's scriptures are all about Jesus we've seen that God's salvation is actually found in Jesus but here's the third thing I want you to notice from Luke 24 God's saints are sent by Jesus repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now look at verses 48 and 49, and listen to Luke's version of the Great Commission. He says, you are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. All right, so two things to notice in these two verses, okay? First in verse 48, I want you to notice the worth of witnesses. Verse 48, Jesus reminded them, guys, you are witnesses of these things. Now, why would that be such a valuable factor in their fulfilling of the Great Commission? Well, hey, guys, you saw this stuff happen firsthand. You were involved in many of the events that took place over the last three years. From the day I first called you, you've been there with me. I think it's also so that be able to explain in detail the events that took place in Jesus' life that were supernatural in nature. You know These witnesses had worth because the people who'd seen these miraculous things, the people who had touched His risen body, they were going to make much, much more believable witnesses. That's very important stuff, since, you know, people in the future, and when I say in the future, I mean people today, would actually try to deny the reality of what had happened. So the worth of the eyewitnesses was a big deal, you know, because Jesus needed to connect the historical events through which they had lived to the meaning of what God had actually done through those historical events. But what about you and me, Okay. Of course, you know, we, the 21st century church, we were not eyewitnesses to those events. But as we apply these verses to ourselves, what qualifies us as witnesses? Well, first of all, we're his. I mean, we're his saints. Okay, anybody ever call you a saint? Now, obviously not in the, the Roman Catholic sense of the word saint, but you were a saint. Sixty-one times in the Bible, Christ followers are referred to as saints. You were a saint because you have been born again. You have a personal relationship with God because you've had a salvation experience. That's what qualifies you. Also, no, you haven't witnessed all those things firsthand, but you have witnessed evidence of God's work in your own life, in the life of your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your relatives. You've experienced the peace that Jesus offered, peace with God, peace in the midst of our trauma, peace with ourselves. Because he lives in you. His Holy Spirit dwells within you. It's like the old hymn says, you ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. So the worth of witnesses is huge. I also want you to notice something else. Verse 49, I want you to see the promise of power. Verse 49 says they'd be empowered from on high. Now what does that mean exactly? Empowered by what or by whom? Uh, He's basically saying, I'm going to send you the promised Holy Spirit. Soon you're going to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. I I like that. I mean, talk about wearing your best power suit. You're going to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is what gives us spiritual power, power to live a life that's pleasing to God, power to minister to others power to, to fight the, uh, the, the, the devil's advances, power to take and to send the gospel to humankind. You see, Jesus sent out the disciples to proclaim the gospel as witnesses, but guess what? He didn't send them out alone. On the very night that he was arrested, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come. This is John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. So Jesus called the spirit a a counselor. Now the, the Greek term there in the original text is parakletos. Parakletos means literally someone who comes alongside you, someone who comes to render aid to you. And so the Holy Spirit would, would comfort the disciples, would explain the teachings of Jesus to the disciples, would direct the disciples in their ministries, and their preaching, even empower them to do miracles. Okay, now l- let's personalize this. Let's, let's turn that back inward towards us for a sec. What about you and me? How can we know if we're following the Holy Spirit? I think, first of all, it begins by actively reading the truth in God's word, paying attention to what it says. I think it means allowing God's spirit to apply the specific commands and principles that his word teaches. But think, I think it also means that we pray for God's guidance and wisdom to obey the direction that he gives us through his word. But then we trust the spirit for power, for wisdom, to fulfill your calling because God is never going to call you to do something that his Holy Spirit will not enable you to do. See, you and I are also called to live as witnesses for Christ, and what we proclaim simply just comes out of the abundance of our relationship with Jesus. See, not everybody stands behind a pulpit every week. I mean, not not even the disciples, you know, were guys that stood behind a pulpit every week. Instead, we are people that we simply share what we know, share what we've experienced with those people who need to hear it. And as His witnesses under the leadership of His Holy Spirit, you know, we're brought into people's lives at just the right moment. You know, just as Jesus was born in the fullness of time according to the grand scheme of God's redemption story, God also leads you and me into other people's lives at just the right moment to make a difference. I mean, call it a divine appointment if you want. You know, and maybe that divine appointment begins with something very simple. Just a, a, a casual conversation. Maybe water cooler talk about current events or having a cup of coffee together or, or banter about what's going on in the world. Or you know, maybe the, you know, the latest Razorbacks or Aggies game God forbid longhorns, but, um, but as we connect with those people, we open up. We begin to listen to their stories. Then, right where they are, we begin to tell them his story and our story. We tell them the story of Jesus. We tell them everything that happened to Jesus. Then we tell them what he's done for us. And tell them about what victory in Jesus really means. So, you know, if the, if the Spirit's empowering you to be God's witnesses, then what are the basics of salvation that we need to share when we fulfill the Great Commission? In other words, how would you succinctly tell the story of the gospel? It's actually pretty simple. It begins with the fact that God loves each one of us and wants to have relationship with us. Wants us to experience abundant life here on earth and eternal life with him in heaven. Oh, but there was a problem. All men were separated from him because of their sinful condition, resulting in sinful actions and attitudes, rebellion against God. But... The death that we deserved because of our sinfulness was taken upon himself by Jesus. And so he offers the forgiveness. Our part is simply to confess and to repent and to believe. To believe what God has said and what he has promised. And that's when we become Christ followers. We make Jesus our savior and Lord. It's that simple. See church, the gospel is not something that's meant to be hidden, all right? The, the victory that we have in Jesus, it's not something to be hoarded. It's something that all Christians are called to share. It's our job. Okay, now I'm, I'm gonna confess to you, my trash dumpster has not been empty for at least two weeks, okay? Now, it's kind of irritating, I mean, the the sanitation crew that works my neighborhood, they haven't been completely upending the dumpster, okay? In fact, just a few days ago, I watched as the garbage truck came down our street early one morning. Guy flipped flipped open the top of the dumpster. He grabbed the the trash bag that was on the top, then he slung it into the back of the garbage truck and went on and left all the rest of the trash in the dumpster. Suffice to say, he's not getting the job done. He's not doing what he's been paid to do. He has a task to complete, and he's ignoring it. Folks, you and I, we have a task to complete. You see, Jesus paid an awfully high price, too high for us to leave the job, half done. See, it's not enough for us to just believe that Christ died for us and rose again. Every man, woman, and child needs to know that Christ died for them and rose for them too. They need to know that there is victory. Victory that can only come through Jesus. Which brings us full circle to the big idea. The victory we have in Jesus is way too big to keep to ourselves. The victory is offered For all Jesus died for all John 3 16 Jesus said God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life all right church so how do we take these things that we've learned about Jesus how do we take this knowledge and put it to work this week. All right, how do we put feet to our faith? Let me give you some action steps, three very simple ones, easy to remember. First of all, invite, all right? If you've never told someone of the victory you have in Jesus, pray for the opportunity to share with a friend or two. And just begin with a simple invitation to that friend to join you, maybe for next week's small group Bible study, or to join us here for worship service. You know, that's really the simplest, easiest way to grow your church. You grow it with ease. E-A-S-E. Everyone asks someone every day. Do you know that according to a recent survey, some of you have probably seen this on social media, according to a recent survey, when people start attending a church, only 2% of them come because of advertising, only 6% because they were invited by a pastor, only 6% because of a church visitation program, but 86% came because a friend invited them. We can grow the church with ease. Everyone asks someone every day. So we invite, here's the second thing, investigate. Plan to read through the Old Testament over the next several months, And, and as you do that, Look for those signposts, those, those types, those, those shadows, those events, those teachings, those prophecies that point us forward to the Christ who would come in grace and forgiveness. Then after we uh, investigate, we invest. See, people are far more prone to accepting the invitation of a friend who's really invested themselves in that person. Do you know how you spell Love. T-I-M-E. Time. Invest some time in that person's life. Now, life groups, here's something you can do. Plan an event. You know, make it a, a game night, a party, a cookout, something where every person can bring another person. And be very strategic in planning this event. You know, include some time for maybe one or more members of your group to actually share about their faith in Christ. We invest See, church, the gospel, it's an old story, but it's an old story that actually brings new life. From the beginning, God's been working across the generations so that at the right moment in history, Jesus Christ would be born, would live, would die, and would rise again from the dead. And knowing this, you know, when we read it from that perspective, we understand that his suffering, his arrest, his death, they were much more than just unfortunate events. They were actually part of God's master plan. His plans to bring us into relationship with him. See, not only did Jesus die for us, Jesus lives for us. He lives for us. He rose to give us new life. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive, by faith, God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.